All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, a podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight, we're going to go into uh, another direction on the drug war, and this is going to be uh, on a bit of the distribution method and a, a very old man who gets involved and a little bit over his head uh, on this 147th episode of the show. You can find the show notes more for this one on the mule at actualanarchy.com slash 147. Let's get an update from Robert down on the sidelines talking about his move to the central part of the state. Get an update on that before getting into the last night's portion of the show and introduce our guest. Robert, how's the move going? Yes, thank you, Daniel. I am here at my house for the next six days. Things are going well. I've got banging. I've got clanging i've got people working on things i'm gonna i've got some professional cleaners i've got the merry maids coming in tomorrow these are not the sexy maids repeat they are not the sexy maids as far as i know (laughs) so i don't think that they're going to be doing any kind of stripping or anything like that unfortunately i know everybody was excited to hear that but no everyone's gonna be disappointed but the house will be much cleaner it hasn't been professionally cleaned in about 35 years to my knowledge so i got the um the guaranteed package. They say if it takes more than four hours, you need to just go for the guaranteed package. It's just they're not going to leave until you're happy with it. So they may be here for the next few days. We'll see. <laughs> wow, that, that's uh, that's quite impressive. Now you said that it's preparing for renters. Are renters already lined up? And did they see it in the state of filth that it has uh, resided in for the past thirty-five years? Or is the search for renters happening and occurring after? the prettying up the lipstick on the pig, so to speak. So yeah, these people, either they're accustomed to filth because they walked in and they were like, yeah, this will work. They looked at this house as it was trashed, <laughs> as it was just completely filthy. And they were like, yeah, this will work for us. No problem. And yeah, from then to now, the amount of work I've put in and the amount of work that's been done to the house by everybody else that I've hired is leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds, bounds and leaps. The the outside looks great. I haven't gotten any kind of like um, landscape surface. That's probably the only thing I probably could do, but I'm just going to make the renters do that. But the painters have done a kick-ass job. I've even gotten a new, you know, the, the basketball court. Oh, yeah. It's been beat down and destroyed. It looks like, you know, it's completely neglected and abandoned. It looks like a Chernobyl basketball court, right? <laughs> well, I'll... It's getting a brand new rim with a chain net, not a decaying nylon net with a brand new all painted. And then there's a trim all the way around the house that looks cool. And yeah, I mean, I've cleaned up so much stuff has gone to the Goodwill and other things. And of course, the big garage sale I talked about. So it's it's huge. It's huge. I almost want to live here now. I don't know why I'm leaving. Yeah. You know, it's kind of an interesting situation where somebody has already agreed to rent it in a certain condition and here you are going above and beyond. Now, what if, what if they are, um, is there a term for this where, you know, they're like into 
dirty houses. And so you're actually going to disappoint them by having it clean. They may have some sort of dirt fetish. Some dirt I hadn't kink. Considered that. They might be super disappointed. <laughs> All right. They can well, filter it up if they want. They're going to have to go outside, roll around like my cat does, and then come in the house. I don't know. All right. Well, thank you for the sideline report. And now we can uh, get into the last night's portion of the show and introduce our guest and start talking about this old man Clint Eastwood movie, The Mule. All right. everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media, where we're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Tonight, we're going to be talking about The Mule, uh, and it's kind of appropriate that this is episode 90 of the show, because the star, director, producer, uh, etc. is nearly 90. Uh, it's Clint Eastwood, and the movie, uh, if I didn't already mention, is called The Mule. You can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 90. That's nine zero. And uh, we have a special guest. He's been with us once before and he also says that uh, he likes superhero movies and so the next time he's on we he wants to be on for a superhero movie and here we are not doing a superhero movie <laughs> so if anything we can do to disappoint our guest uh, Rocky Ferenberg <laughs> we will go out of our way to do so Rocky uh, welcome to the show you were on with us for Smallfoot um, uh, right before Christmas last year so we'll have a link to that on the show notes page lastnarrative.com slash 90 we'll also have a link to your website and I know you do a bunch of other stuff uh, voiceovers and, and a podcast and you're in bands and you write and all of these things. So why don't you take a moment, introduce yourself to the audience and where can people find what you do? And we'll of course have that on the show notes page as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm Rocky Ferenberg. I, I do do a number of things. I uh, play in a couple different rock bands and, and help put on different concerts and fundraisers and stuff in uh, Southern Idaho down here. And uh, I do a little bit of voiceover work and uh, collect comic books and I'm actually in the process of writing a book. Um, it's a memoir about my 12-year drug and alcohol uh, addiction and <clears throat> multiple prison stints and um, getting ready. I'm actually just geared up and started working on the second draft of that. And uh, everything that I'm doing can usually be found um, through uh, my website, rockyferenberg.com. But typically, it's it's easier just to either go to the Practical Libertarian on Facebook or uh, the uh, From the Mind of an Addict on Facebook. All right. Thank you. We'll, we'll put links on all of those things. And one of the reasons that I, I reached out to you for this particular episode was because of your experiences with drugs. And this is kind of a movie. This is the third movie in a row where we're sort of talking about the drug war from very different perspectives. We started with Back to the Future and then we did Straight Out of Compton. And now we're doing uh, an, The Mule tonight. And so I thought that you could bring some um, perspective to this. Now, I'm going to just throw this out there. Uh, this is not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping we were on the same page about that. So spoiler alert, everyone, but 100%. <laughs> but it, I think it has in its ham fisted way, it has interesting things to spark conversation. And so that's kind of what I'm going for uh, tonight with, with us. So um, that, that's caveat. Not necessarily that it was a hundred percent a bad movie because the cinematography was all right and everything, but it was very, very unrealistic. Like, like, um, a hundred percent was completely, yeah, it was just every time something happened, I was just blown away by how ridiculous it was. Well, you know, they say based on a true story, it's based on a, an article. <laughs> so and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but before I get into the Google description, um, Robert, any comments uh, so far? Um, welcome to, to Rocky, et cetera. 
whatever you want to say. Yeah. Hey, Rocky. I noticed you got some uh, sexy comic books behind you. I noticed some Spider-Man. I see a Spider-Man number one. Oh, yeah. Todd McFarlane. And I yep. see some other Spider-Mans. Are, are you... Are you interested in maybe doing a Spider-Man movie in the future? <laughs> yeah, I would love to do anything Marvel so I can come on and defend it against you Marvel bashers. <laughs> Sweet. I just picked you, you DC fan. I just picked this up. Uh, this is a uh, 1.8 Batman number 121. First appearance of Mr. Freeze back when he was Mr. Zero. So just picked that up the other day along with a giant size X-Men number one. Oh, very nice. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and it's so. not that we're like super DC fans. It's just we've been doing more of the Batman and then the Batman slash Superman movies lately. Uh, we've only yeah. really done one Marvel, and that was Guardians. And it was the first one was pretty good, and the second one was just terrible. I didn't even finish it. <laughs> I didn't think. I didn't think. I thought the the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies are are what they are. There was a lot of inconsistencies within the characters and stuff like Drex and and whatnot. But uh, they they are what they are. They're supposed to be fun loving family movies. You know, a little bit more. All Marvel is pretty lighthearted, but they're definitely on the more lighthearted side of the Marvel movies. Right. Well, we will, like Ant Man. We'll keep you in mind for for the next one that we do that will be a Marvel movie. So, um, let's get into the Google description, and uh, that's usually how we start this off. So, The Mule, twenty eighteen drama slash mystery, one hour fifty five minutes, got a seven out of ten on the IMDb, seventy percent Rotten Tomatoes, three point seven out of five on DVD slash Netflix. Not sure what, what that really means. <laughs> uh, and 88% of the Google users like it. What? I know, right? <laughs> okay. So Did they just like the nap that it put them in and then the, the coma. They were just like, oh, that's the best coma. <laughs> so, bro, I, I'm shocked that it was a drama slash mystery since it has neither drama nor mystery. <laughs> what the hell? It should have more classified as a crime. Yeah. yeah, crime against the viewers. <laughs> well, I think For I think the sure. mystery is how did 88% of the Google users like it? All right. Uh, broke, alone, and facing foreclosure on his business, 90-year-old horticulturist Earl Stone takes a job as a drug courier for a Mexican cartel. His immediate success leads to easy money and a larger shipment that soon draws the attention of hard-charging DEA agent Colin Bates. When Earl's past mistakes start to weigh heavily on his conscience, he must decide whether to right those wrongs before law enforcement and cartel thugs catch up to him. Came out December 14, 2018. The director is Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood uh, and all of that. Um, it's a uh, box office of $172.5 million. So I think it ended up making money. Uh, this is, I believe, Clint Eastwood's last movie. It's the last one he said he's going to do. And uh, my my thoughts are it's probably a good thing that he's going to stop. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Robert, let's get your take on the Google description, then we'll go to Rocky. Yeah, that description sounded way better than the movie I saw. Like, <laughs> it only described the very interesting, the interesting part at the, like the very end, like about three quarters of the way through the movie, because the first half is just Clint Eastwood kind of doddering about and then going on drives, <laughs> and that's and that's the entire part. I, the, the the main character, he was kind of a cute, fun, you know, kind of a eclectic old man, like, you know, old men kind of are. They're just like, they have the, the, the filter goes and they just kind of like let their personality out. But everybody else in this movie, it was like, it was like, it was like everything was on the first take. The, the, the performances, all the dialogue was delivered so woodenly, like Lawrence Fishburne is in it. And he says like a couple like lines over and over again. And it's just done in the most boring and generic delivery possible. All the dialogue is super on the nose. Like the, the characters are describing exactly what's happening and exactly what they feel and 
what they want to happen. Nothing was done in any kind of sense of style. It was just, it was like a first draft, first draft script, uh, either a, a first time director or Clint Eastwood, who's just like sitting back there in his last hurrah. And he's like, uh, I flipped my line there, Clint. Do we want to do it again? He's like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> the whole movie was, it was the most flat movie I've seen. The most passionless, boring crap fest. I've seen like low budget, just like a couple guys. Hey, you want to make a movie for like 500 bucks? Have more passion, have more interesting, have better ideas than in this. I'm sorry. It was just, I'm getting proclaimed. It's terrible. All right. Well, just a little bit of feedback. We'll go to Rocky. Uh, I think we mentioned this when we reviewed The Changeling a couple of years ago. Uh, that Clint Eastwood's style seems to be just so laid back as a director to almost do nothing other than sit there and say, all right, <laughs> do your lines, done, print it, we're good, and move on. But but it, it was like these actors hadn't even rehearsed their scenes. Like, nobody has any chemistry. Like, it, it seemed as if characters that, were, characters that were supposed to know each other were interacting for the very first time together. Like, the mother and the daughter, like, uh, the... Lawrence Fishburne and those people and like um, who was it Bradley Cooper and then the other guy the other guy who's that the other guy who's also in the Ant Man movies he's Michael like, Pena yeah that guy who's like really good in the Ant Man <laughs> movies but in here he's just like this block of wood <laughs> same with uh, Bradley Cooper same with Lawrence Fishburne everybody's a block of wood except for Clint Eastwood it's like I don't know it is it's it atrocious. <laughs> all right thank you for that all right Rocky your take on the Google description and and anything that Robert said so far. Yeah, I uh, yeah, it did sound like it was a much better uh, movie uh, rather than actually watching it. Uh, but you know, I think that the I think really the only thing I, I have to add on top of what Robert said was, uh, I think the, the credits for this these movies that Clint Eastwood do should just say Clint Eastwood in big letters because it seems like he just is into this mode where he does he wants to do everything, and it's kind of like the guy who doesn't you know the guy who owns a business and uh, doesn't want to outsource anything. He wants to do it all himself. And he winds up coming with up with this substandard business and that could have been really good, but he just wants to do everything. I don't know if it's a control freak thing, but yeah, he it just I think the uh, most of the movies he's been doing are subpar. And then you get these people that like it, and they like it solely because Clint Eastwood's name is attached to it. You know, it's um uh can't remember. I think it's a uh, uh Jim Gaffigan stand up when he, he says something along the lines of like, we already got their money. What are they going to do? You know? And that's that kind of how Clint Eastwood approaches his movies. It doesn't really matter. We already know we're going to get their money. So what does it matter? You know? Yeah. I got to agree with all that. That it very much seemed like an old man who was beyond his prime. who's like at the, the declining years of his talents and his energy and whatever, but he's controlling everything, but he's out of ideas and he's just like, yeah, whatever's fine. <laughs> and you know, it's just the whole movie was had zero passion. Like nobody even wanted to be there. Nobody wanted to be there. <laughs> the actors on screen. I mean, maybe Clint was kind of having a little bit of fun, but then there were these weird asides. Like this is kind of established his character, but they, they went nowhere. Like you know when he met those like lesbian biker gang, and like um, he had that yeah. lunch that uh, sandwich pulled pork place. It was just like, and then there were those scenes where there's like all the the, the women gyrating at the party just like really focused in on their asses a whole bunch. It's just really kind of like, all right, Clint's like this pervy old man. And then he also has these weird things in his brain where he's like, well, what if he meets like these, this lesbian biker gang for some reason, just went nowhere. Well, the lesbian biker gang and stopping on the side of the road to help the, um, uh, the black people that change the tire. Those two scenes are really just made up in order to like portray him as this like 
old man who like it says like out of a uh, non or says like uh, non PC things. And I think that's to kind of cater to that um, right wing crowd that seemed to have this massive hard on for uh, Clint Eastwood because they want to see Clint Eastwood not be PC. And so he calls the dykes, the dykes and he calls the black people, the nigger and stuff or Negro or whatever. And it's, it's just this whole thing, like where the, the this right wing side likes to see somebody like Clint Eastwood not be PC. Do you think that was Clint responding to people or do you think that was him himself going, I'm going to make a comment on this uh, PC culture and like really throw it in their faces? I think that's kind of a, that's kind of a uh, difficult one to pin down because Clint does kind of come out. Uh, he does kind of speak out about, about that kind of stuff. I've seen some of his uh, little political comments, but it could be, it could very well be pandering as well. You know? Yeah. I kind of saw it as pandering, but then, you know, like, like, Oh, okay. We got to have some lesbians in here. All right, we got to have some black people in here. All right, we got to have some veterans in here. We got to, you know, check all these boxes. We got to have the um, guy get pulled over and say, this is the most dangerous five minutes of my life. A traffic stop, I could be shot, you know, whatever. And that's actually a very interesting conversation point to have. But it stu- stood out like a sore thumb in the movie, which was just kind of bizarre. Uh, but also in interviews that Clint's had in the past, you know, he's very conservative. He's identified as libertarian, but he spoke at like the Republican National Con- uh, Conference or what do you call it? The um, what do you call that? The the uh, convention. The, yeah, the convention. The uh, national convention. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was talking to like the empty chair that was like representing Obama. I think this was in 2012. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and so it's just it's it's a weird thing because he does not like PC culture, at least in in those uh, interviews in the past. And he says some pretty um, no nonsense stuff, which I can really appreciate. But it's hard to tell what it is in this movie. Like they do certainly seem out of place and they do give him some reason to say something that it's like the little common thing. Like, Oh, everyone has like a crazy uncle who, who says something that is no longer safe to say anymore. And it seems like that's accelerated in this, um, what's it called? Cancel culture where anyone takes anything that was said even 10, 15 years ago, back when saying that thing wasn't such a bad thing, or it was meant in a comedic way and it was accepted as such, like anything that Dave Chappelle did or whatever, uh, or Eddie Murphy or George Carlin or any of those guys. And now they take those things and they use it to ruin people. Yeah, right. They attribute the worst possible intention. Whereas if it's said by somebody on the left, they'll give it the most charitable interpretation, generally speaking. Right. We're getting that right now. Uh, the, the big thing is uh, the Trudeau stuff where he's apparently done um, dressed up as a, an Arabian knight and uh, done blackface. And they're even calling it brownface or something like that to like soften, soften it a little bit. And the thing that gets me with that, and we'll get back to this movie, I swear we will, but <laughs> we don't have to. It's crap. <laughs> but Trudeau, yeah, keep it rolling. Wherever it goes, it's good. I don't agree with cancel culture at all, um, though it is a somewhat market force. You know, like people can have an opinion about something and, and be outraged and, and no longer like uh, go to that venue or purchase from that person, or whatever. But he's a politician, so it, it doesn't really work that great. But, um, He's also been a person who's advocated this kind of a thing. Like when he had uh, a certain number of a quota of people in his cabinet, his his reasoning for it was oh, it's 2016 or whatever when when he had it. Like that was his reason for having you know this many gay people, this many women, this many um, you know non-white people. Uh, not because they were the best people for the job. He was just checking off boxes, you know. Um, and so I guess in a roundabout way, I'm trying to say it. He's getting a taste of his own medicine. It's something that he supported. This kind of cancel culture stuff and now he's getting a taste of it and that is like a little bit of schadenfreude but i also don't think anyone should be subjected to this kind of thing yeah i mean the, it's it seems to be this kind of tit for tat 
let's dig up everybody's past and get pretend to get outraged over something that was clearly either intended as a joke or meant in good humor or whatever. And it doesn't aim at anybody to cause anybody's pain or whatever. But what really upsets me is when people bow down and apologize to the social justice mob. And all that does is just like blood in the water to sharks. They that just reinforces that, yes, they're doing a good thing by trying to ruin these people. They really did do something bad and wrong. And it, you're not going to appeal, you know, appease them anyway by apologizing to them. Right. And, and, you're, and you're admitting that you actually caused pain and suffering to people. What are you talking about? Who goes around? And it's always like, it's, I hate to get racial on it, but it always seems to be like white women that are like, or white guys that are offended for minorities. It's never like, I mean, sometimes it's minorities too, but it, it's always like something getting offended for somebody else. It's like, really? And, and, and it's like a white you are offended, thing. you're an adult. Turn it off. Who cares? Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we see the guy who got kicked off of SNL before he was even uh, doing anything. Yeah, like he yeah. just got hired and then they immediately fired him for something that they knew about. It was somebody I, I, from the story that I heard, which could be wrong, was that it wasn't necessarily that they well, it theoretically they should have known about it because I would imagine that their vetting process would be pretty uh, intense. But um, yeah, some journalist or something like that, I believe, dug through all this stuff in like an hour or a couple hours or whatnot. And then, of course, you know, try to frame all this stuff up. But especially whenever you're talking about comedians and and whatnot, if you take any of these jokes that are are you know very 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 raw jokes, uh, and you just read them like as if you were reading a transcript in a courtroom, it, you miss out on so much stuff. I think they, I think uh, Dave Smith was talking about that a, a short while ago about how you know you can just you can just lose so much of what's being said by just reading it in a totally different context. Yeah, was that in the Bill yeah, Burr special? That was also in the Bill Burr special. And yeah, Smith was talking about the, the Bill Burr special. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You can take something set out of context and give it the worst possible interpretation, take it in the harshest way, and then attribute that person to be, you know, horrific and evil and all this crap. Well, you can even do it with your dog. I mean, you can say if you if you look at your dog and you're like, good dog, good dog. Or if you're like, bad dog. And yeah, you know, that, that whole demeanor, it doesn't matter what you're saying. It matters how it's being said. And that's part of the way that you, you know, can craft a joke is your delivery and, and the context of what's been said, what's been said and how you built up to it. But if you just read that one piece, it, it, it sounds completely different than what was actually said. I've heard women say that. It's not what you said. It's how you said it. <laughs> yep. No, I'm not pointing out my wife. I, I, I don't think she does that kind of thing, but um, I've, I've had that experience before. But anyway, um, why do we get into this movie just a little bit? So we kind of start off with Earl. He's neglecting his family he's choosing work and and whatever level of fame he achieves by that um over any family events he misses his daughter's christening his uh daughter's wedding all these things and then the internet apparently puts him out of business and he's he is now left with the family not liking him and hard times in business as a result of not being able to uh innovate and keep up keep pace with technology and uh I don't know. I just thought that might be a jumping off point for some conversation here. Well, I was, yeah. uh, okay. I, I was a little bit confused because uh, he walked by and he acknowledged the internet and he was like, you know, who needs it? Because you got the, the, the new company for the internet. But then when he walked over and sat down uh, for the horticulture uh, convention or whatever it was, um, people flocked over to his table and bought his flowers and he won the award or whatnot. And then, then he came back and he said they didn't make as much money. Um, and I, you know, 
but still, you know, he won the award and people flocked to his table. So it didn't really portray his business being bad. And it actually kind of made him look like he was like, like shorting the Mexicans. Like he did all this good business over there and then came back and told the Mexicans, oh yeah, I didn't get paid very much. So that's kind of what I was thinking. And then when, of course, of course you see the foreclosure on this house, it's like, okay, so I guess maybe business isn't as good or maybe he's poor with his money. I mean, it kind of left the the door open to a lot of different types of assumptions. Yeah, that's why another reason why this thing is terrible. <laughs> all right, all right. I it was, no, it was atrocious. You're, Rocky's absolutely right. He's he's playing it up like the internet's going to kill his business, but then he just does gangbuster business. This whole his table is flooded with people. He's getting awards. He's Mr. Awesome Daylily guy. And then the very next scene, he's like, oh, out of business. Like, what? All right, well, what kind on. of storytelling is that movie? Hold on, guys. Hold on. <laughs> I think you're missing a very important, I could be wrong on the number. It's either 12 or 17, but it says 12 years later or 17 years later. And then his business has dried up as a result. No, of no, no. Yes. He looks exactly the same. Well, he's, he's still like 90. 90. <laughs> it's still the same Clint Eastwood guy. But you're telling I me. I must have missed it, that. So in the beginning, the first couple scenes, he's playing a 14-year younger guy. Yeah, he's playing a 70-something-year-old <laughs> guy. And then... And and that's where it's like this prelude of the internet. Oh, it's this thing. Yeah, I just disregard it. And he's still doing well because he's famous for a certain variety. I, I read a little bit about the the original guy. So you had to. So you had to. No, see the thing. This is this is the problem is that you had to go back and you had to read a little bit more in order to add more context to the movie to, in order to be able to understand it. That's not what movies should be doing. Movies should be showing what's happening much much better than this you shouldn't they shouldn't say oh hey here's the movie and by the way here's the storybook to accompany the movie as well yeah 100 percent agree with rocky show don't tell <laughs> all right well i'm just gonna say you guys both apparently missed the 12 years later uh, I didn't I was because i was asleep i was in a medically <laughs> induced coma that's why I missed the, the text that flashed across the screen probably all right well that text explains the sudden because it's not so sudden but anyway, can can we can we also agree that that by doing time jumps like that, that's very lazy writing. Yep. Yeah. Why? Why? Why can't we just have something taking place in the current year? You could have told the same story. Well, because what you're showing is is you're showing this guy at his peak of his powers, um, having ignored his family, achieved the level of fame that he had achieved. So that people were flocking to his table and then he disregards a new threat. And he's not willing to adapt. And then 12 or 17 years later, and I, I wish I knew which one, you see the effects of that. His family has left him. He's going out of business. He's in foreclosure. Uh, he has lost business due to not having a, a web presence and all of these things. So you see the impact. And I don't think that's lazy. I think that's just, hey, here's what's starting point. Here's the trajectory he was going on. And here's the result. And then, now the story begins. Now he's desperate. And now he's searching for ways to make money and reconcile with his family for making those poor decisions in the past. Okay. Not to rewrite the dumb script, but <laughs> I would cut that first part out and just have one scene where Clint Eastwood is in his little trophy room and he's looking over all his blue ribbons and trophies and whatnot. And then he's got the foreclosure notice in his hand and it's a little tear crawls down his cheek and whatever that does the same thing without confusing the audience. Anyway, Rocky, sorry, go ahead. No, actually, I was I was going to kind of cut a different way. I was gonna, I was going to ask if anybody else thought that uh, Clint Eastwood's character was a total piece of shit in this whole movie. He like totally disregarded his family, treated him like shit the whole time, and then he uh, tries to say that he's going to do something good. And I know this is kind of jumping ahead, so he starts you know 
kneeling for this, this these people and then all of a sudden he's not really i mean he does good things with some of the money but he's not around his family anymore doesn't really give a shit about him and and basically takes off running again and then finally whenever it's convenient when you know um once again spoiler alert or whatever whenever his ex-wife dies all of a sudden he comes running back but the whole time he's this guy who it, when he when he has an opportunity to be like the life of the party or whatever, he just abandons his family and just runs off. There's no character arc. He doesn't. I mean, he comes back in the end and sits with his ex wife while she dies. But I mean, that's that that story arc is so weak. But even throughout, I mean, he's just like he. I don't know. I just thought he was a piece of garbage the whole time. I was like, this dude just will take off at the drop of a hat to go party it up. You know? Yeah, I completely agree. The only thing that I thought uh, the reason that he had some kind of personality. He's not redeeming. Kind of liked about him. He wasn't all right. I mean, he he's a piece of shit to his family, which is unforgivable. But um, the way he dealt with situations, you know, the way he was like when he dealt with the cop, when he diffused the tension and diffused the 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 escalation and that sort of thing. Those those little interesting ways in which he dealt with those kind of things were kind of I don't know if it didn't redeem the character, but it gave him some personality to a shitty character, like you're saying, because you're right. He his arc is crap. It seemed kind of ham-fisted. And, well, anyway, that's what you expect from this shit show. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to say he actually had an arc, and he he works his way back into trying to win, to earn the good graces of his family, and, and he's trying to earn money to do good deeds to try to make up for uh, his transgressions in the past. And I think that it is a ridiculous. Is that what he was doing? Hold on, hold on. You know how, you know how, like if you're hooking up with a chick and she's got that, like that nice deep arc when you're going at it from back and she really arcs her back down. But then there's the other girl who kind of arcs her back up all arc awkwardly. There's a good arc, you know, and then there's a bad arc. And, uh, Clint Eastwood definitely was the arced up back. It was definitely the poor arc of, of the two. Wow. All right. This is a family show. <laughs> uh, thank you for that visual. Um, now, oh, we, it, oh, is it a family show? No, it is not. David. Okay. I was about to say, I, I missed that. I, I, I know the last show we did was a uh, family show, but, uh, this one was, yeah, no, we, 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 uh, we, we marked this explicit. And, and if you want to support what we do here, check it out at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. And, uh, you'll get to watch live stream of us making these, uh, terrible, terrible remarks. So, <laughs> all right. Well, so, Robert, you mentioned uh, how he diffuses the situation with the police, and he actually does that with um, that first encounter with the police. And, and that's actually used in the trailer. And it, it's very um, menacing. A lot of the moments in the trailer like lead you into thinking that something's going to happen in this movie. And then when you see those trailer snippets actually in the context of the film, you're like, oh, that wasn't exact. That wasn't anything what I thought. Like when they show the Bradley Cooper character coming out after him at, after, uh, outside the restaurant. And in the trailer, you're like, oh, he's onto him. He's going to catch him. But in the yeah. movie, it's like, oh, here's your thermos. That's yeah. actually that's actually great. I love it when I love it when trailers do that. I love it whenever you see the trailer and you think one thing and then you go into a movie and it's something different. That's that is that was really good. Well, whoever made the trailer had to. I mean, they got nothing to work with in this movie. I mean, what are you going to do? You have to cut it up in some kind of deceptive way, because if you were to accurately describe what happens in this movie, no one would come see this thing. Right. And then with the dog one and the pecans, I mean, that's also in the trailer. And it's like led leads you to believe that he's about to get caught and they don't show how, how that get res, gets resolved. And he uses his wily old man skills with that's his I liked about it. old yeah. man props to get out so, of that with the Ben Gay and wiping it on his hands and then rubbing it in the dog's face. So the dog can't smell the Coke, which is great. So that so that actually that was a very interesting. I made some notes because I um 
I actually work with a guy who quit being a cop because of all the corruption and whatever. I'm, I'm trying to actually get him to come on a couple different uh, different shows and talk about his experience. But uh, he um, uh, he used to train police dogs. And so I kind of came to him and I was talking to him. He, he had seen the movie. Um, I was asking him kind of about, well, you know, if, first of all, if if the dog had to take a leak, are they actually going to let him out? And he said, well, they, they wouldn't let him out unless he was on a leash. You, you're not supposed to have the dog not on a leash. <laughs> and I was like, well, what about running up to him? Would he just take off and run up to him? And he said, well, that's kind of why you have the leash on, because not only is there a chance that he could run up to him and it's kind of like a service dog, you're not supposed to really touch him. And, and but beyond that, you know, he actually said that the dogs could have a potential to attack somebody, which I found that to be very uh, revealing about the way that these police officers train these dogs. But furthermore, I asked him about the wiping the bin gay on the dog's nose and, you know, how the dog might possibly not smell the cocaine, you know, that close to the car. So he said that, you know, it's a possible, you know, because the scent's in the air, the dog might not catch the scent. Um, but he said, he told me, he said, if you rub Ben Gay in, in the dog's nose, he's like, you'll fuck the dog up really bad. So, um, which I, I don't recall if the dog was whimpering the whole time the officer was taking him back. Uh, if he was whimpering, I don't know why the officer didn't care about his, his dog. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if he wasn't whimpering, then I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't find that to be very realistic based on talking to this guy about, you know, the training of dogs and the utilizing them. Hmm. Yeah, that, that makes some sense. Um, I think that uh, just in general with police dogs, I think that they use them often as an excuse to search whatever they want to search. They can get the dog to respond to certain cues to give them um, not quite probable causes, though they might consider that, consider it that, but it's like something akin to that. So they can basically use the, the dog as an excuse to get further in to whatever they're looking at. Well, and that, what's interesting is because I was kind of talking to him about that. I was asking him about, you know, um, um, getting dogs riled up before you have them walk around the car. <clears throat> and one of the things he was talking about was uh, do these dogs will they'll hit because there's basically they can smell types of residue or even smoke on clothing or anything like that. So they may hit on somebody. So let's just say they were looking for pot. Um, they may hit on somebody because they smell like pot or they have marijuana residue you know from smoking and stuff on their clothes um so the dog's not necessarily um not giving a false indicator per se but they do utilize that to be able to you know uh, uh violate people's fourth amendment rights and be able to illegally search cars and stuff so they do utilize that to their benefit but what he was saying was that the dog will never false indicate but the dog might not smell something even though it's in the car so for what it's worth. Okay. Now I'm just going to go on a little rant here. I view the drug war as an excuse to totally violate the fourth and fifth amendment. And that's the whole point of it. It gives any excuse to, to do anything uh, as far as violating people's privacy and their security and their homes and their possessions and their papers and all those things. Similarly, the war on terror gave the excuse for uh, whatever last vestiges remained of that. And it's like perfectly uh, excused and accepted now because technically we're all safer now. Um, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a really terrible thing. And, and it's something hard to see for so many people to just lay down and accept it, you know, basically licking the boots. Um, and, you know, the drug war is, is racist in its origin and its persecution. And I think it's one of the biggest reasons why um, our rights are violated and why people are in prison. Uh, the largest prison population in the world based on uh, percentage of population, if I recall. So, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely something that 
needs to be shut down. And uh, yeah, just take it away, Rocky. Do you have any opinion on that? Well, it's it's definitely um, uh, the war on drugs is definitely a, a revenue generator, um, especially like here in Idaho. <clears throat> one of the big things with the rider program is that they they talk about uh, trying to rehabilitate people and uh, the rebu- their rehabilitation tactics uh, even spread from uh, people that are uh, abusing drugs or or, or whatnot um, to even sex offenders talking about being able to rehabilitate sex offenders and even really rehabilitate violent cr- uh, criminals and and all they, they've taken this rehabilitation thing and making it bigger than it needs to be. But as far as <clears throat> as far as uh, uh, drug use, so like the, they get they get a grant from the federal government to put people through their rider program or their drug and alcohol program. So the grant money that comes in is not only going to create jobs, government jobs, um, through paying these counselors and these CEOs and all these other people that are in the prison complex. Um, but it's also, if they, if they say they get $80,000, put somebody through a treatment program and they can put them through for 60,000, which of course, all that revenue is coming back to the state or a third party drug testing agency, which is a you know level of cronyism between a private corporation and, a, and the state. Um, they also get a pocket $20,000 if they can put them through for 60, whenever they've received 80. And, you know, of course the standard other stuff that people talk about with, um, civil asset forfeiture and, uh, and, you know, even the, uh, uh, confiscating of drugs and, uh, drugs go missing, uh, cops selling drugs behind, behind people's back, uh, you know, even the the bigger scales of like the Iran Contra scandal of running the guns into uh, Central America and uh, bringing drugs back in. I mean, yeah, it's it's all it's all a racket. I mean, it's, the government's seen a place to um, make money, and they've taken advantage of doing so. Right, and all the incentives are perverse, and it it basically incentivizes them to continue to do more and more of these things because they get a cut of the uh, what's. Um, confiscated and they get uh, drug busts and like this uh, good press and all that stuff. And, and we saw that in the movie with Lawrence Fis- yes. Fishburne and yes. uh, the Bradley Cooper character. Like you got to make a name for yourself. You got to make busts if you want to get out of this jurisdiction, you know, cause it's like not one of the hot ones or the big, big game ones, you know, then you got to show some results and then you can move on up. And uh, they use that whole apparatus as an excuse to basically lay into that. Um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Luis. I want to say where they basically threaten him uh, to work with them. Uh, and if they, if he refuses, they'll just tell the drug people that he is working with them. Basically lie to yeah, him. There was a, yeah, it was a complete lie. Yeah, it was a complete lie. It wasn't even like they were using information they had in order to get him to do something or they're cutting him slack. It, they basically just went in there and said, hey, we're going to just make up this story so that these uh, drug cartels come and kill you unless you work with us. Like it was so it was so just disgusting. Right. Yeah. And then and then they said they had a warrant and they found uh, $425,000 in cash, drugs and unlicensed firearms. Well, Bet you uh, didn't get any of that back. Yeah. But none of those sound like crimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Robert, you want to jump in on any of this so far? Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about drugs. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I'd like to congratulate drugs for winning the war <laughs> on drugs. Drugs will win because people like them. And the, the market isn't servicing that desire that people have for. The market services the desire for these other drugs, which is good at. I mean, the, the market produces just tons and tons of drugs, tons and tons of drugs. But the government comes along and says, well, these drugs are good. And we put them in this category. And then these drugs are bad. 
and we'll put those in this other category. And if you have these drugs, you're okay and you're fine. You're upstanding citizen. You're fine. No problems. But if you're these category, you do these, you're a bad person and you need to be rehabilitated. You need to be locked in a cage. You need to be shot and killed. You need to have, you know, your home invaded at 4 a.m. But you can't legislate human behavior because the drugs will always win people like them. You can't, you can't make a thing that people enjoy illegal. People are still going to do that. Right. It's not going to change people's behavior by just saying, well, these are naughty because people understandably know that's bullshit. They're like, no, I've done marijuana. I didn't turn into a raving lunatic. It's fine. I actually enjoyed it. You're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And and if anything, the war on drugs uh, increases the danger of supplying it and, and getting it. Uh, there's fewer um, above board legal means of dispute resolution. So you get all this gang activity. Uh, you get uh, lower quality, higher concentrations, higher prices, uh, all of these other terrible bad effects where if it was basically everything was legal, then you would have uh, competitive market forces driving up the quality, driving down the price. And it doesn't mean that everyone would be doing heroin tomorrow. It just means that those that did heroin would be able to have it in, in a safer dose and a, a safer environment. And those who didn't wouldn't be subjected to all the downstream effects of waging the drug war. So I, I just pulled something up on my phone and it's the uh, skin, uh, 10 scariest prescription drug side effects. And I found it just interesting because there's so much, um, there's so much uh, uh, scaremongering around illegal drugs or heroin or, or these things, but yet there, you know, some of the side effects of legal drugs or, you know, drugs approved by the FDA are, are, are crazy, like hallucinations, memory loss, um, Unwanted, painful, persistent erections, blood clots, compulsive behaviors, Stephen Johnson syndrome, which sounds like that should be the erection, erection one, <laughs> birth defect, <laughs> cancer, suicide, death. I mean, like, I mean, it, it's not just just because a just because a state says that they or a, a state organization says that a drug is okay to take, it it doesn't mean that it is. What what was that one article? That a lot of people have been talking about. It. I think it was on Tom Woods, uh, the uh, the magazine that that predicted a uh, number of FDA um, drugs that were not safe and were going to be recalled. You guys know what I'm talking about? And they got, they got like every one of them, right? No, I haven't heard that. Yeah. It was on Tom Woods episode. It's some magazine or organization and they predicted uh, like every single, like over the course of like 10 years or something like that, 30 different medications. They, they uh, were reviewing them after the FDA approved them and they called like every single one, um, that uh, was going to be recalled and it, and the FDA wound up recalling it. Um, I don't know what it is. If I can find it, whenever we get off here, you guys can throw it in the show notes. I'll see if I can find it. Well, uh, yeah, the FDA is absolutely terrible. Yeah, they're, just, they're extremely limited in what they know and they get things wrong all the time. Either by failing to act and failing to legalize something that would be beneficial and also making something perfectly fine that is really dangerous. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, so just a, a few more things to add to our show notes page. Um, Mark Thornton has a whole bunch of lectures on the drug war and the effects and, and what it does to you know the purity and the concentration and the prices and all those things. So I'll post some of that on our show notes page at lastnarrative.com slash 90. Also on there will be um, uh, a link to the Robert Higgs book, Against Leviathan. And in that book, he mentions uh, and, and has a table of the deaths and serious patient outcomes from FDA-approved drugs. And just a, a little flavor of it, uh, the number of deaths in the decade of 2000 to 2010, 452,000 plus people died as a result of FDA approved drugs and 2.8 million had serious health related outcomes as a result. So, and that's just the scene, right? That's not the unseen of the drugs that would have saved lives that were not approved. Right. Or, or, uh, mitigated human suffering. Right. 
yeah. So anyway, that's a bit of uh, some ranting there from the three of us on the drug war. Well, one of, one of the other parts of the drug war too were, were was uh, when they pulled that guy over in the black pickup towards the end of the show, and they pulled him out of there, and they basically illegally searched his vehicle, and uh, because they thought it was Clint Eastwood's black pickup, they didn't have a warrant for that guy. They didn't weren't able to identify him as the uh, as the actual suspect. They pulled him out. The same guy that was saying, "Don't kill me, don't kill me." This is the most five, dangerous five minutes of my life. And that's same. That's one of the other problems with the drug wars that uh, these officers can can basically have carte blanche to run around and harass wherever they feel under the guise or under the mask of, you know, trying to defend freedom through the drug war, whatever the hell their excuse is this week. Right. And every interaction, every excuse that a cop has just leads to more possibilities for tragedies to occur. <clears throat> the other thing I think we skipped over too was the, um, was, uh, his the foreclosure of of his house i was i don't mean to just breeze over what you just said but i i was i was thinking about this too the foreclosure of his house uh, be, I'm, I'm just going to assume he didn't say anything about like if he was still paying uh um, like a mortgage or whatever, but it, I would imagine that it was uh, it was for not paying some kind of property tax. I mean, I guess if he was still paying a mortgage at that age, I, I don't know. I, that seems a little uh, seems a little far fetched, maybe. But you know, I, I thought about when I saw that foreclosure, I was like, well, you know, if if it's for not paying property tax, then you know, once again, that's that's completely absurd too. If you've paid off your property, then you should damn well be able to own your property. If you don't you decide you don't want to pay tax on it, you shouldn't have, you know, the government should have no right to come in and confiscate it. And what's even crazier about confiscating somebody's house is that <clears throat> technically the government is saying that they have a, uh, a right to come in and confiscate the land, but yet like, you know, I don't know how you would do it, but I mean, if you can't even take your house off there, if you possibly could, the government has to keep the house on there. So, I mean, it's not even necessarily that they have a right to the land. They have a right to the land and the house, anything you build on that piece of property. So it's not necessarily that they have a right to come in and take just the land, but more than just that, it's, it's insane. Right. Yeah. I get taxed on the land and also the improvements, which is the structures and all of that stuff um, on top mm -hmm. of it. And, and I just paid my house off actually. And uh, I will never own the house in the you know, the sense of I can do what I wish with it without any uh, risk of losing it for not paying basically a land rent to the county, uh, which is um, it's kind of a it's a when you think about it, it's like, well, this is crazy. Like, why? why If I paid for the house, why would I not? Why would it not be mine? But that's the world we live in today. And, and nine ninety nine out of 100 people are going to totally agree with that. Uh, position of well, you got to pay your taxes because you want schools and fires and firemen and <coughs> roads and shit like that. Um, my electrician, my electrician, who I was having to put a wire from my garbage disposal to my circuit breaker box, said he's got to charge me like eighty bucks for a permit to do that. <laughs> I need permission from some asshole in Olympia to wire my garbage disposal. Yeah, you know what? Um, you might actually have somebody come out and um, inspect it. When I had the yeah. the, uh, the outlet for my office set up, because it's it's a shipping container box, and um, I had to get a new uh, service outlet on our main breaker, like coming to the house, and uh, they had to come out and inspect it. I had to come to the property and and sign off on it, and it really felt like a violation. But anyway, um, we if we were if we wanted to stay on the uh, on the drug war thing or, or circling back to it, um, it no, I don't. The the major kingpin, I think he was saying, was down in Mexico. But it was saying that um, um, okay, so he, so he was he was, was getting, getting the drugs from this tire shop. Um, 
wherever it was at. I can't remember where they're at. Anyways, uh, so he's getting, they weren't in Mexico, basically. So he's getting this, these drugs from this tire shop. Okay. And the, the cartel guy is in Mexico. And so we're, we're, we're led to believe that the drugs are coming from Mexico. Well, maybe they're made in USA. Who knows? But because it doesn't really say that. But if they're coming from Mexico, kind of like, like what it alludes to, who's muling them from Mexico to this damn tire shop? And why the hell do they have to stop at the tire shop to give it to this old man who theoretically would be incredibly untrustworthy to haul these types of drugs to wherever they need to go? Why can't the trustworthy guy that brought it to the tire shop just bring it all the way to where he, where the Clint Eastwood's going to bring it to? Yeah, the those kinds of realistic, logical questions are just ignored <laughs> by this film <laughs> completely. Like, why why is Clint Eastwood not only a mule in the first place, to your point, but also why is he the best? I mean, like he's like the best of all time, and he's only done like what, like ten runs or something, or eleven <laughs> runs at that time, and he's like the greatest of all time. So good that he's getting invited down to to hang out and party with the the Don. It's like really this, yeah, this happened movie. Okay, it's based on a real article. The uh... a real piece of article that could not have been fabricated in any way, shape, or form. Hey, it was in the New York Times, man. Oh man, that's a venerable institution <laughs> of not yellow journalism at all. Well, I'll, I'll link to that on our show notes page as well. Do you, you want to know? You you want to see how how things are blown out of proportion? Uh, Buffalo Bill, Psycho, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre are all based on real people. They're all based on the same person, Ed Gein, who did almost literally is literally is like none of those people except for he made clothes out of women's skin. Uh, he, he, uh, uh, he ate people and yeah, I mean, it's it, like, like those characters, they said, okay, this guy was making a woman, like a, a skin suit out of women's body parts. And then they created Buffalo Bill or there, and then they created a, a leather face and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, they, there was probably a thing about 70 year old man gets caught muling for uh Mexican mafia or something like that. And then they're like, oh, let's make this movie that, you know, is totally out there yeah like 90 percent is just fabricated and it's not even fabricated in an interesting way <laughs> that's that's the real crime here it's like we're just gonna make shit up well if you're gonna make shit up let's let's, let's actually make it interesting and exciting or something because it, it was almost like a documentary just with no drama just craptacular so what what about all the story arcs that never paid off? So like he had he had like this thing the, the whole overarching thing was family. And so you had that guy who um was supposed to be his handler and like they don't he the handler doesn't like him this whole time. And then he comes out and he's like, "Oh, these people don't care about you." And it's really weird that he comes out and tells this guy that these people don't care about him right after he just got done like partying with them and and getting laid by these super hot models when he's, you know, basically, you know, a corpse. And he, like like he, he, they do all this stuff for him, then he comes out and tells this guy, "Oh, they don't care nothing about you." And then they kind of get mad and everything and and then all of a sudden like like you don't really think that they're friends until they show until the don gets killed off and they show uh clint eastwood the guy in the in the uh trunk and and now his handler is like oh i told you that you're not you know that, uh just do what you're told uh we're not friends and it's like oh I, I was thinking the whole time like i never thought you guys were friends you know what i mean like so that that the story they were trying to do there was basically like whenever 
he showed care and concern for his handler. All of a sudden, they became friends, and they became friends over the pulled pork sandwich, or whenever he basically said that these were Mexicans that he picked up outside of uh, um, Home Depot. You know, like uh, all this stuff is supposed to lead you to believe that all of a sudden the handler and and Clint are now friends, but you never get that until all of a sudden he's like, we're not friends. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess you guys aren't friends when I never knew you guys were friends to begin with. And there's a lot of that stuff that never got, you know, these, these loose ends that never got tied up. Right. Yeah. And then at the end, where's his handler? What's his handler doing? I don't even remember. Yeah. The handler wasn't even in the scene where you supposedly gets beat up. You don't even get to see him getting beat up. No, no. Yeah. You didn't see that either. It's just, just over. This is the movie's over. He ends up in jail. Never see the handler again. So that entire storyline just goes nowhere. Well, that's stupid too. Here's the thing: if you got, if you were part of a dangerous mafia, especially a, a, a ruthless guy who took over, he killed the Don, and he's like, he's gonna, like, he's going to kill this guy when they find him. It was just stupid because here's the thing: if if that mafia worth their salt, there's no freaking way that he would have been gone for like eight days without them finding him. Especially whenever those guys in the garage told him, "Oh, we know everything about you." Whenever he goes to take the first load, like that, that whole stuff doesn't jive right. But here's the other thing: let's just say, let's just forget all that and say that that was. Wasn't uh, that you know? Let's just throw all that logic out the window because they did. Whenever he goes to prison, like like all of a sudden he lives happily ever after, planting flowers in prison. It, that dude's getting whacked. Like that's that's the way that is. The ending the ending of that movie should have been him bending over to smell the flower, and the Mexican guy walks up behind him and shanks him because that's the way that shit would happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're, we're looking for logic and consistency in this movie, and. We're trying to we're trying to shine up this pig, put all the lipstick on it. But it's it's a daytime made for TV special. They got got a major movie motion picture release for some reason. Oh, how this happened? I mean, just because if if it wasn't Clint Eastwood in the movie in the starring role and directing it, this would this would not have been released as a major motion picture. They'd be like, no way, no one's going to come see this crap. It's too terrible. I'm not putting any money behind this. But like we said, his money, his name means money. So it happened. It's like if oxygen was made for men and this was a made for TV movie for ox that oxygen male oxygen channel. Yeah, but even still toned down from that part of the way. <laughs> Isn't that what uh, Spike TV was supposed to be way back when? Yeah. Oh yeah, Spike TV, I remember that. Yeah, I don't think I, I ever watch watched wrestling. it. It's supposed to be a guy thing. Anyway. Um well, you know, we're probably at that point where we can get into some final summary and review. Uh, I think I kind of know which way everyone's leaning, but um, Robert, why don't you? Oh, hold uh, on, I got one. Hold, oh, oh, I got one more thing. Was did anybody else expect Danny Trejo to jump in here? <laughs> I was waiting for Danny Trejo the whole time. I was like, we got Michael Pena, we got all these other guys. Where the hell is Danny Trejo? And his machete. <laughs> yeah, I was disappointed. I didn't even consider that. I thought we got with Alex. Was it Alex Garcia? Is that who that was? The the Don Andy Garcia. Yeah. Andy Garcia. That's yeah. right. A very. Not looking great, Andy Garcia. The man with but, the golden know. gun. A golden gun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping Danny Trejo would be in it because Danny Trejo makes almost everything better. But he knew. He knew to stay away from the crap <laughs> I don't know how he got He's Bradley Cooper. Yeah, and, and Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne was like, this is bullshit. That was in the Matrix. That was the high point of uh, Fishburne's career. Uh, I was fucking Morpheus, and now I got to read these lines? <laughs> bullshit. All right, Robert, why don't you lead us off with our summary and review? Score out of 10, a decimal point deep. Man, this guy, I got to give this thing a number? Man, I don't even know if it gets a number. This is just the worst movie ever. This, it seemed like it was a passionless project made by a man without passion. And he's just like this weird old doddering guy. He did kind of put his Clint Eastwood stamp on it, but it was a terrible stamp because he's a 90-year-old man at the end of his career. And I think he should have stopped before making this thing. It, it, it was a bait and switch. 
classic bait and switch as he goes out, you know, come and see the last Clint Eastwood movie and it's terrible. You shouldn't have come. It's uh, it's not worth your time. It wasn't worth my time. I had to watch it in two sittings because I watched the first half, bored to tears, had to turn it off. I was about to fall asleep anyway. And then I watched the second half this morning because I'm like, oh, shit, I got to finish that thing for the show tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So I uh, yeah, it's like a it's like a two, maybe maybe a one. It's 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 one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It really is. I've seen more interesting, you know, low budget, you know, slasher movies, you know, things with better ideas. And it, yes, this thing's got star talent. He's got star power. You got Bradley Cooper. You got Lawrence Fishburne. You got Clint Eastwood. You got Michael Pena, Andy Garcia. You got these big names. And why are they there? Are they all just doing favors? Does Clint Eastwood have a bunch of dirt on them? <laughs> he must. I don't know. Why else are they there? He's even got his daughter in there. His daughter plays his daughter. Oh, well, there you go. She's like, okay, dad, this one time I'll do you this one favor. Yeah. Oh, so shit. in some of the pre-show, Robert, we talked about uh, you're painting your, your house inside tonight. And, uh, so yeah, can you, you hear want, that scraping? Yeah, you'll be watching paint dry. It'll be more entertaining than this movie apparently yes. was for you. All right, let's yeah. go over to Rocky for your summary and review and a, and a score, please. Uh, I think that uh, I think that it was um, it was definitely, it was a bad movie. Uh, it was definitely one of uh, the worst uh Clint Eastwood, written, directed, starred, you know, everything Clint Eastwood movies he's done. I wasn't a big fan of Gran Torino, uh, like a lot of people were, but I thought, you know, even that was better than this. Um, I think if I had to, you know, it, the, where it scores points for me, I'll, I'll say is is uh, my parents are Clint Eastwood fans. And I know that if my pops and my mom watched it, they'd be like, oh, that was a good movie. Um so, I mean, if it makes anything that makes my parents happy scores a little bit with me, but I kind of want to, I try to look at the uh, movies as being like, you know, it, it, you know, what would I, what would I rate this? Uh, what would I rate this if I was trying to go home with it? And uh, this is definitely probably a three on my, on my scale. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for, for bringing the, the particular scale and metaphors um, <laughs> that uh, remind me of my twenties. Right. <laughs> well, I'm going to say that I, found this movie to be very long uh, my wife and i were watching it the other night and it felt like a long time of watching and we paused it because we're like all right well let's go upstairs and watch the rest of it in bed and it turned out that there was 40 minutes left we're like how is that even possible it's only a two-hour movie <laughs> so it's a very slow-paced movie and i agree that he, he doesn't direct it in such a way to where it's like very dynamic and and that it's really got a lot of emotion in it um and it's not uh some of it is a little bit subtle. Like, so you really have to be paying attention to something that's kind of boring to have the story make sense. And you're right, Rocky, it is a bit fantastical in, in some of the events that are depicted. But overall, I thought that basically, you know, choosing between um, the career and his family, and he finds that that was a mistake in his life and even tries to tell that to the Bradley Cooper character in the cafe, like, hey, I'm, I've learned something, you know, you really need to be there for a family. That's the most important thing. I think that it does try to bring that redemption arc to it. And he does try to uh, utilize this being a mule and, and earning the money as a result of it to do good things for other people to try and, I don't know, like make up for the past mistakes. And so I give that a little bit of a pass. It's not a great movie. Um, I think that Clint Eastwood does have some great movies. Unforgiven is one of my favorite movies. And I think that's one worthy of doing at some point in the future. And also the spaghetti Westerns with Sergio Leone. Those are really good. And uh, even the dirty Harry stuff, I mean, is kind of cheesy as a lot of those are. It's still like entertainment. Um, so I'd be willing to do another Clint Eastwood movie 
in the future. It's just kind of unfortunate that he's declined so much in his powers uh, that this is what he's had has done for his last movie. But you know, at his age, um, I don't know how much more he could have done. Really, I mean, he's he's probably a little bit senile at this point. But I'm going to go with a five on this. I don't think it's like the worst movie ever. Um, but it was, you know, the trailer really built it up, and it made me think that there was more to it than what it really was. So I took a dump this morning that had more of a plot. <laughs> All right. Well, probably would have been funner to watch. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. Well, this is about as as uh, lewd as we've gotten on this show. Uh, so, Robert, um, next week we're going to have Olaf, our friend who was on for um, what was that that King movie, uh, the the Scottish uh, King movie? Oh, yeah. The Netflix um, one with uh, Captain Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, Chris Pine. I forget the exact name of that movie, but it's in our it's in our back catalog and we'll post that on the show notes. But he's going to be back. Uh, he was going to do the Truman Show with us um, a few months ago, but at the last minute he was unable to. So we had Mike C. Uh, one of our favorite guests um, do a quick fill in, but this next movie uh, is one of Olaf's favorite movies. He he saw it recently and he was like, "Oh my god, this is so good! You guys have got to do this." So it's it's called Spirited Away. It's like an anime film from something like twenty years ago. He yes. just saw it recently and was blown away by it. He has tons of stuff he wants to talk about. So that's uh, what we're going to be doing next week uh, when we come back with Olaf. As I recall, Spirited Viking. Away won a. It won an Academy Award back in the day. Yeah, it's it's uh it was a big movie. I, I dated a girl uh right after uh I graduated from high school who was super into anime, and that was one of about that was one of about three or four that she had that were stomachable uh animes. It, it's not too bad. It's I mean it's anime, so there's a lot of um very like uh fantasy stuff in there with creatures and everything, but it's not as it's not as bad as uh most anime and hentai. I will say it's not my favorite Studio Ghibli film. It's probably not even in my top five, but it's 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 a well done, capable film. I'll say that it's not the most interesting to me. I mean, the plot is basically a girl goes to this weird place and her family gets turned into pigs, and so she has to work for a witch to get them to not, you know, get turned back into humans again or whatever. But at the end, was it all a dream and stuff? I don't. I, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it's just some pretty interesting stuff. I'm gonna. I'm curious how Dan is gonna like it or not. We'll see. All right, and I'm cool. gonna. I want to rewatch it with my libertarian eyeballs on and see what I see because back when I watched it, you know, back in the day, I I was not so. So we'll see. He could have picked Kiki's Delivery Service or Princess Mononoke <laughs> or, or How's Moving <laughs> Castle. Yeah. Oh, the Secret Life and or the, what is that? The Secrets of Nim would be cool. Oh yeah, an old little, one. Little little mice. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that one. Uh, I want to say around kindergarten age, something like that, and it being scary yeah. at the time. But yeah, uh, it was. But anyway, yeah, it, it will be an interesting conversation. I don't know much about it other than what Robert just told me, and it, it sounds fantastical. Uh, so I'm looking forward to watching that, and we will return next week. Now, Robert, before we go, uh, why yeah. don't you tell people how they can support the show? What kinds of things can they do for us? Oh, they can do all kinds of stuff. Uh, they can just come up to me on the street and give me a high five. <laughs> they could give me five. I'll take I'll take dollar bills. I'm not proud. They could, um, you know, talk to people about the show. They could leave us a review on the iTunes. They could subscribe on their Stitcher or iTunes apps. They could um, support us on the Patreons. They could subscribe to us on YouTube's. They could leave a review or a comment in the YouTube's. 
They could do all of those things in any other ways that you even think of. They could just tell their friends about this cool podcast that they listen to about these weirdo guys talking about movies from a libertarian perspective. I don't know. Did I leave any out? There's like stuff. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a good <laughs> list for now. We can we can share some more on the next episode. Uh, Rocky, thank you for being our guest on The Last Nighters. And we will have uh, a link to your website and some of the other things you mentioned earlier on the show notes page at lastnighters.com slash 90. This can also be found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. And um, final word to uh, Rocky, and then we'll say goodnight here. Well, thank you guys for having me. Much appreciated. Like I said before, I, I'm always interested in coming on and talking about uh, uh, libertarian ideas. And, and furthermore, always interested in coming on and, and being able to talk about movies and, and kind of how the world just, you know, the, the world in which we live relates to libertarianism. And it's not necessarily that these ideas are so abstract that they're irrelevant. So I always love these types of shows. It was a pleasure having you, sir. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And we'll say goodnight from last night, everyone. All right. We can continue for a few more minutes on the actual anarchy podcast before getting into some potential Kathleen Turner overdrive, though we don't have a whole lot of time because Robert is still uh, in mid uh what do you call it? Mid backstroke on uh, getting the house prepped for renters. But uh, Rocky, thank you so much for being our guest. Um, I, I'm sorry. It wasn't a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it happens, man. It's not a big deal. Actually, I was, I was kind of expecting it to be good because of, you know, Clint's was, uh, 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 you know, reputation. But as I started watching it, I was like, Oh, this is not, uh, this is not good. So that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> like 10 minutes in, I'm like, uh Oh, Oh no. <laughs> Oh no. Uh-oh. Oh, that's scary. That's funny. Yeah. So what do you guys think about, um, you know, he, he's identified himself as a libertarian and some of the quotes he's had uh, are, you know, sort of on the um, nascent understanding of libertarianism. He's like, I just don't see why I just don't leave everyone the hell alone. And that's great. You know, it's, it's kind of a, an intuitive thing. Um, but then he does these things in these movies where he makes sure that he uh, has veterans in it or the VFW or whatever. And, it almost feels like he's pandering to that group in some way. It's almost like, you know, they'll, they'll have like a, um, at a restaurant, you know, 10% off for veterans or whatever. It's like, he's going out of his way to virtue signal to them. And I don't know how that squares with, if you're a libertarian and you're like, okay, well, the government is perpetrating, you know, evil via foreign policy in the military all over the world. And, uh, is, is, do you think he's perhaps separating, um, the people who go, who are misled in, in going out and doing those things uh, from the what's driving them to do those things. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're people who um, are maybe misguided or, or misled. And so they're doing these things, but he's supporting the people themselves because they did go thinking they were sacrificing something. Well, I think a lot of the people that were in this movie, um, like the uh, like the lesbians and stuff, were uh, were inserted as plot devices to show him having this old timey, you know, mentality that he's or like a lack of a filter or whatnot. But as far as um like being a libertarian and 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 with the VFW stuff that they has in here <clears throat> has in here, uh, you know, the thing that's funny about libertarianism is we have this. Uh, it's always uh, you're not a real libertarian or you're not libertarian enough. And uh, you know, we have we have people that are far more to the anarcho-capitalist side, and then we have people that are 
or obviously are more minarchist. And I would probably say that he's probably closer to the minarchist side. Um, I, I think that it's definitely obvious that he has a um, hard on for vets, hard on for military uh, personnel. So, um, and I would, I would also say that I think that that's probably the place that most libertarians should be the strongest on is, is military and, 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 and conscription and uh, foreign intervention and all these different ideas. That would be the most important piece in my mind for a libertarian to be strong on. But at the same time, uh, I mean, if he's, uh, if he's, you know, trying to advocate or trying to spread the idea that, you know, we should be left alone, less government um, interference. I mean, I, if I would say he's probably still falls into the um, libertarian tent, just probably not an anarcho-capitalist. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. He seems like the kind of guy who, I mean, you know, he's still dealing with all these Hollywood liberal types. So, I mean, I don't know if he's got that kind of, you know, I don't give a fuck kind of attitude or if he's kind of dialing down his opinions or if he really truly does have no filter and he just has this kind of nascent understanding of, you know, just leave people alone, but he's got those conservative leanings of, he watches a lot of Fox News and, you know, the wars aren't so bad and uh, who knows? Who knows? I'll take him. I don't think he's as, his, his understanding is as high as Vince Vaughn, who actually, you know, knows Tom Woods and has been on his show. Yeah, that was a, that was a good episode. Also, let's point out that just because he's a libertarian does not mean that he's going to make good movies. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I'm going to lay it out there. Unforgiven was a brilliant movie. And uh, I think yeah, but he, that was, he had it in him. But that was 1992. Five years ago. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. It was a spring chicken compared to this thing that was on the screen today. I don't I, I don't want to hit on the guy because he's still doing it at night. Yeah. I mean, good on him, right? I mean, he's doddering around on the screen and he's, you know, making money and doing what he enjoys. Great. But I think he needs to leave. If he wants to do any more movies, he needs to, you know, hand off the reins to somebody with the energy and the passion to do things with a smaller role for himself. Like, I'm just going to be this character actor moving forward or something like that. But if he wants to be done and retire too, that's great. And whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we can uh, stop bashing on uh, this movie <laughs> here and we can get into some Kathleen Turner overdrive, uh, which is available for our Patreon supporters. Uh, you can find us showing us more for this episode at actual anarchy.com slash one forty seven. We appreciate you guys uh, being uh, our listeners and uh, do whatever you can to spread the message of Liberty and maximum freedom. Uh, so uh, thank you guys. We'll get into the Kathleen Turner overdrive right after this. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. 
Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.